And if you give me a second, uh, I need to get my Bible because my Bible is full of notes on this passage that we are going to be looking at today. Turn in your scripture, or if you have your phone, turn please to Romans chapter 11, and beginning in verse 25. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. This is the um, final message on Romans 9, 10, and 11, what you might call Israelology or the theology uh, of Israel. Um, You may remember that Romans 9 talks about Israel's past and God's burden for Israel. Romans 10 talks about Israel's present and God's prayer for Israel. Romans 11 talks about the hope that all Israel will be saved and talks a little bit about the future. But this message, which culminates this section, uh, I want to entitle it, The Fullness of the Gentiles. The Fullness of the Gentiles. How many of you have ever heard somebody preach on the fullness of the Gentiles? Let me see your show of hands. Keep them up. Hi. Okay. In that preaching, how many of you have heard it said, that all Israel will be saved when the last Gentile comes to faith. I'm here to suggest this morning that that is erroneous. So let's pray. No, (laughs) I was just kidding with you. just want to make sure you're awake. What are the three most important things in real estate? What are the three most important things in understanding Scripture? Context, 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 which is location, location, location. This section of Scripture, and specifically Romans 9, 10, and 11, and specifically this last part of the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, is all in the context of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles and God's plan. It is not talking about individual Jews or individual Gentiles. It is talking about the Jewish people as a nation and the Gentiles as other nations. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word for Gentiles is is goyim, which just means other nations. According to the Lord, according to Scripture, there are only two kinds of people in the world, Jews and everybody else. We are badly outnumbered. (laughs) So let me read with you beginning in verse 25. And I'm going to go through this verse by verse. I will tell you that I don't have a written out sermon this morning because there is so much here. I started writing it out and then I started going back and crossing it out. And then I started going back and rewriting it. And I said, Lord, you're just going to have to help me with this as I speak about it this morning. There's too much here for me to go over in the next 35 or 40 minutes. But there is enough that I have to say, I believe, to wet your whistles and engage your appetites 
that you will take this section and reread it. You will take this section and meditate upon it, chew upon it, and you will see if what this humble rabbi in front of you believes this says is in fact too. And I invite your correspondence. I invite your emails. I invite your um, thoughts uh, after this message. Just don't make me look too stupid. For I do not desire brethren, who's the brethren that Paul is speaking to? A predominantly Gentile church in Rome. I do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery. What do we know about mysteries in the New Covenant Scriptures? They are revelations of things that were hidden in the Hebrew Scriptures and are now being revealed and hopefully understood in the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures. I do not desire that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. In other words, lest your pride should get the best of you. Lest you should think that you figured this out all on your own without understanding the underpinnings and the foundations that are found in the Tanakh the Hebrew scriptures, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that hardening in part. Say that with me. In part. Oh, that wasn't loud enough. In part. God is not finished with the Jewish people. Despite what the majority of the liberal church in the world and the United States believes, God is not finished with the Jewish people, hardening their hardened hearts, their opposition to their own Messiah has come in part until, which means something's going to change in the future, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. To which I ask this question, is God really waiting for the last Gentile to come to faith before all Israel is saved? I mean, just think about it. Does that make sense? That seems to be too small of an understanding for the God that we serve. Too small of an understanding for the God who created everything that was ever created through his word and by his spirit. Too small to understand what the role of the Gentile nations are as part of God's plan. In other words, the fullness of the Gentiles means that they will come into the full understanding and acting out of God's plan for them. That'll tweet. (laughs) You can repeat it. What is God's plan for the Gentiles? Well, let's go back. Romans 11, verses 11 to 15. The Gentile Commission. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? The they refers to the Jewish people. The stumbling refers to their rejection of the Messiah. By the way, the Messiah never rejected them. 
they rejected him. And we're talking about Israel as a nation, even though thousands of Jewish people in the first century believed in him. Have they stumbled that they should fall? The fall, meaning that they would reject his salvation. And then Paul answers his own question, certainly not. May God forbid. It's a double negative in the Greek, which makes it doubly emphatically, no. But through their fall, in order to provoke them, the Jewish people, to salvation, Messiah has come to y'all. Y'all who are the Gentiles, go figure God's plan. He creates a people group out of covenantal promises to Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In that way, he ensures through which line the Messiah would come, even though he also blesses Abraham's other son, but he is not the son of promise. He gives to them the Torah, the temple service, sacrifices, all the things that are mentioned in, in, in the scripture. He brings the Messiah through them just so the Jewish people as a whole could reject him so that now he and his message and his word and his good news could go to the nations, the Gentiles, But what is the responsibility of the Gentiles once they've received the Jewish Messiah? It's to provoke Jewish people to jealousy. And I believe with all of my heart that until the nations of the world who are believers, until they fulfill their God-given biblical mandate and mission, then the fullness of the Gentiles will not happen. I thought I'd get some kind of a reaction to that. And if you think about it, our congregation, as we embark on a new season of ministry in a new building, needs to be about the business of educating the Gentile nations in the proper way to provoke Jewish people to jealousy so that the fullness of the Gentiles can happen sooner rather than later. All Israel can be saved sooner rather than later. And praise God, our Messiah will return. And as a whole, the body of Messiah in the United States and the world has totally failed at that biblical mandate. Totally failed. You know, we announced last week, Scott announced and we've announced further that Chosen People Ministries has been blessed to have Janet Chayette join us on staff. One of the things that Janet is going to do is she's going to be inviting, when we get to the new building, local pastors to come and have coffee with moi and her so we can talk to them about the necessity of the quote-unquote church, the Gentile body of Messiah, to understand their God-given role of provoking Jewish people to jealousy and how to do that. You don't do it by thumping a Bible in their face. You do it by making them understand how you have been given the gift of life. And by the way, that gift of life was first offered to you. Would you like me to tell you about it again? 
I speak to you Gentiles, Paul writes in verse 13, and as much as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, I glorify my ministry, I expand my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. I want to ask a very serious question of those of you among us who are Gentile, but also those of you among us who are Jewish, when was the last time you provoked somebody to jealousy of the Messiah that you have? We have an amazing opportunity in our lives, an amazing opportunity in the next season of ministry for Son of David congregation to be jealousy provokers. To be jealousy provokers. Not just to be pew sitters, but to be jealousy provokers. We're going to be making lots of decisions in our new building. Decisions about what we do, how we do it, where we do it, what day of the week we do it, but all to the point of provoking people to jealousy so that they might see who we have and want him to. Amen? Amen. And so verse 26 says, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, when the mission that God has given the Gentile nations has finally been fulfilled by the Gentile nations, all Israel will be saved. Why is that important? Because that was God's promise, that he will never forsake or leave his people. Even the nation of Israel gets a second chance. Praise his name. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Jacob being another name for the Jewish people. For this is my covenant, God says in Isaiah. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. When I take away their sins. Verse 28. You think that was interesting? This one's really cool. Concerning the gospel, the good news, they, the Jews, are enemies for your sake. How many of you have sat down and meditated on what that means? I hadn't really till this week because I had to give a message on it. I've read over it many times. Why would the Jewish people be enemies of the gospel for the sake of the Gentiles. Because according to God's plan, they had to reject the Messiah in order for him to come to the Gentiles. Oh, now I'm getting some reaction. But they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Why would they be beloved for the sake of the fathers? Because God promised to the fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, that his covenant people would be a blessing and they would bless the entire world. Enemies, for the sake of the good news, because it would be traveling to everyone else beside the Jewish people. Beloved, for the sake of the fathers, because it will prove the veracity and truthfulness of God's word. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. Irrevocable.
Can't take him away. Irrevocable. His call is irrevocable. What is God's call to the Gentile nations? Provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. How are the Gentile nations doing? Not so good. How can the Gentile members of Son of David congregation be doing? Hopefully very well. You see, I believe it's Son of David's job to educate our people, to educate the members here, whether Jew or Gentile, to have enough confidence in the God they serve that they can, without any fear, share him with whoever God brings in their path. But specifically in regards to this chapter, for the Gentile members of our family to be able to share him with Jewish non-believers and provoke them to jealousy so that they may reclaim, get a second chance on the one that they rejected. On the one that they rejected. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Concerning the election, they are beloved For the sake of the Father, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, this is referring to the Gentile nations. Besides being disobedient to God, they didn't even know God. As you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Do you hear the plan again? By the rejection of the Messiah on the part of the Jewish people, by the disobedience to the Jewish people of their own scriptures, the gospel, the good news, Messiah, Yeshua, salvation, has now come to the Gentile nations as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience... Even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they may also have mercy. And you think Carmen didn't pick out her song because she knew I was going to be preaching this message. She didn't pick out the song because she knew I was going to be preaching this message. God picked out that song. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his Mercy endures forever. Mercy to the Gentile nations who didn't even know God until the Jewish people rejected him, and now he could come to the Gentiles. And mercy to the Jewish people who rejected him beforehand, but God is a God of second chances, third chances, four chances, infinity chances, so that when the fullness of the Gentiles finally comes in, when they live out their biblical mandate to provoke Jewish people to jealousy, guess what happens? God's mercy is shown on all. And all Israel comes to faith. Praise God. Even so, these also now have been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. I don't understand him. Praise God. Is there anybody here who claims to understand God? If you did, you wouldn't have to spend time with him every day asking him why. Why this? Why that? How come? I don't understand. To which God says, I know. Just keep spending time with me. 
the understanding goes away little by little by little by little. Now we see through a mirror dimly. But then we will see eye to eye. And then Paul, in verses 33 to 36, sings a heart anthem to God. Paul, in these last verses of Romans 11, stands in awe of the God of creation, stands in awe of the plan of the God of creation, stands in awe of the mercy of the God of creation. It's a song, if you will, to God. Matter of fact, I think I'm going to call up Marty Getz and tell him to write a song about this. Verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. How many of you know who Jacques Cousteau was? Did Jacques Cousteau travel in shallow waters? No. He went to the depths of the ocean. And when he did, he found out things about marine life that nobody else knew. I don't know about you. I want to get to the depths of the ocean of God's wisdom. If you've ever done any swimming or diving, sometimes it takes practice to be able to hold your breath longer and longer and longer and longer. Typically, you can hold your breath about two minutes. I've known people who can hold their breath for as much as six minutes. Do you know how they got from two to six? Practice. 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 And the longer they could stay with a breath in their lungs, the longer they could either travel in a race without breathing or the deeper they could go, let's say snorkeling, to find the amazing riches that are at the bottom of whatever they were going to search out. Like maybe the coral reefs down at a lot, which, by the way, I'm going to be seeing next November. I was just thinking about that. just wanted to make you jealous We're talking about jealousy. The depth of the riches. Is there anybody here like me who's tired of searching for God on the surface? Is there anybody here like me who wants to dig down deep into him to know his ways? The depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You see, the knowledge here doesn't talk, and we've said this before, it's a common phrase. It's not enough to know about God. We have to know God. I could sit up here and give you a description of my wife, her height, the color of her hair, the color of her eyes, what she does during the week, but you wouldn't know her, you know about her. 
The only way to get to know her is to spend time with her. With. Everybody say that word. With. The only way to get to know God is to spend time with. It's not rocket science, is it? It really isn't. It's a matter of time and priority. Time in his word, prayer with his spirit, and guess what? God will provide enough minutes in the rest of the day for you to get done what you need to get done. It's a lesson I continually learn and have to keep reminding myself when I find the tyrannies of the day taking the place of the priorities of being in the word, praying to God, and digging into the depth of the riches of the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. And you know what God's wisdom does for us? Gets us through the day. It sounds so simple, right? Gets us through the day. Like when you've had a fight with your boss the day before, and you're walking in the day after, and your heart says, I really don't want to do this. I'm afraid of what he's going to say. And instead of fearing, instead of doubting, instead of kvetching, you say, Lord, you need to be my strength, my wisdom, my words, my actions as I walk through the door this morning and meet my boss and you tell me what to say to him so that I can be okay today. That's a very simple explanation of the wisdom of God. Oh, by the way, it works for marriages None of us who were married have ever parked the car in front of the house and really not wanted to go in. Why did this drive take so short? I'm already here. Lord, you need to be the husband right now to walk into this house and to say the right words to my wife. Lord, you need to be the wife right now in and through me to walk into this house to say the right words and to minister to my spouse. And guess what? His wisdom works. It's happened to me. More than once. (laughs) And usually when that prayer is said, guess what comes out of my mouth? The right words. Why? Because they're his words. Lest I be foolish in my own opinion. The wisdom of God. What happens when your child is away from home? What happens when your child is laying in a hospital bed? It's only only by the knowledge and the wisdom of God that he gives you the patience and the prayer to see it through. We can't do it on our own. The depth, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Why does the world keep searching for riches and wisdom on the Internet? Why do we keep searching it from the talking heads? Why do we keep searching it from the politicians? It's all right here. It's a living word. The depth of the riches 
both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past and binding out. Verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Lord, if I were you, I'd do it this way. Are you sure that's what you want to do? When you think about the mind of the Lord, you know the one word that you have to put in front of everything you do, say, feel, think? Trust. Trust. Because I don't know about you, but God has done stuff in my life that I would never do. Ever. Like getting me fired from a six-finger job, it was the best thing ever happened to me. Because as soon as I got fired, and as soon as I didn't have any money, and as soon as I didn't have any money, I had to sell all the stuff that I bought. And as soon as we sold all the stuff that I bought, I didn't have anything to have anymore. And I didn't have a job. And guess what? All the idols in my life had to go away so I could look to him and him only. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd have picked a different plan. And I don't believe that there's anybody here who hasn't been convicted and perhaps chastened by God. Really? We're all chastened by God. Why? Because he loves us. Who's known his mind or who's become his counselor? God, why are you doing this? Because I love you. Are you sure? It doesn't feel like love. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. Now, if you have your scriptures open, or your phones open, I want you to look at which hymns are capitalized, and which hymn is not capitalized. Who has first given to him, the Lord, and it shall be paid to him, the peon? Who thinks that by giving to the Lord, the Lord owes him something? Oh, you're not listening at all. Let me give you the best example of this I can think of and what is probably the most important thing that every believer has to learn, and that's a proper understanding of forgiveness. If you believe that you have to do something, give something to the Lord for him to forgive you, then you also have to believe that other people have to do something or give you something for you to forgive them. And nothing can be further from the truth. There is nothing we can give to God to which he owes us anything for it. It's as simple as this thing says. Who has first given to him, done for him, proven something for him, showed him that he's so wonderful and religious and pious that God now owes you something? You know what God owes us? Nothing. Nada. Zilch. In Hebrew, the word is klum. I love it. Klum. Can you say that? Klum. Oh, you're speaking tongues in the sanctuary. I love it. 
Nothing. He forgives us out of his own good heart. He forgives us out of his own mercy. He forgives us, and it's hard to understand, for his benefit. What? God forgives us for his benefit? Yes, he wants us to be involved in his plan. Jews and Gentiles. The Jews to be a blessing to the world. The Gentiles to provoke Jews to jealousy. Oh, you thought I'd never get back around to that one, do you? The fullness of the Gentiles. For of him and through him and to him are all things. Of him, he did it all. And through him, through the work of him, his son, and the spirit, and to him for his glory, oh, will someone please say amen, Amen. are all things to whom be glory forever. You know why forever? Because his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Would you stand with me? And I want you to just quiet your heart for a minute. And I'm not going to ask for you. I want you to ask for the Ruach HaKodesh to reveal something in this section of Scripture to you that you have never heard before, that you have never understood before. Perhaps it's something that you need to do. Perhaps it's something that you need to understand. Perhaps it's something that you need to ask about. But ask the Holy Spirit. Right now, we'll just take a minute of silence to speak to you this morning. I know for me, the Lord is telling me that Son of David congregation in its new location and in its new season needs to be an educating congregation to the churches in Montgomery County and around so that they can be part of Jewish evangelism, which is the biblical mandate of the Gentile nations. Whatever he's speaking to you, hold on to it. Press into it. Think about it later today. Ask him more about it. That that word can become real in your life. That that understanding can become life-changing in your life. And I want you to just repeat after me. Of him, him. through him, him. and to him him. are all things... To whom be glory forever. forever. Amen.